I'm thankful for everyone that came. My name is Gib Ledbetter. I'm from Richmond, Virginia. Those who don't know me. This morning's lesson slash forum slash sharing is hopefully something that we can all be encouraged by. I'll have some slide presentations, but I'll be sharing with some have chosen or have been suggested to be chosen to share a little bit about their Christian lives. So with that, let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, the music we heard as we came in is open our eyes to our hearts, Lord. For we live in times that will challenge every aspect of our life, and we pray that your spirit would be present to encourage us to live it to its fullest and to be able to pro proclaim thy message to all around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. God's, live, God's, God's way. Christian living in a pagan culture. And when I started to say that this morning, and you get the response of, of individuals, they say, oh, Christian living, we, we know all about that. We've, we've heard about that before. But let's take a look at this a little bit. Well, I had this picture here because I think we like to choose the own road, our own road on how we're going to, to live our lives and what's important and what's not. So let me tell you a little story here, how this forum came about by an unnamed brother that happens to be present. It was supposed to be a forum on half-truths. And, you know, I thought that that's still probably a part of what we need to hear. So I asked the brother, I said, well, where is the main, what's the main reason for wanting to use that topic? And he said, well, there's a sermon a brother did in Windsor. So I said, oh, well, just give me the sermon because those brothers record all those. He came back and he said, we can't find it. So he gave me two other forms, two other messages. And so then I listened to those and I talked to the brother who, who gave the messages and I said, what does that have to do with half-truth? He said, nothing. I think he was trying to be nice to you or something. So I said, then, well, go find the originator of where this form is at. So I gave him another week, and he came back and said, well, I don't know who the originator of the form was. So I really could never get the full truth on the half-truth form. <laughs> Sorry. But regardless, there are some half-truths that I think we've, in talking to the brother Dave Nicholson, who... who had the message, what is a half-truth? And I want to just look at some aspects, and go ahead, and basically I think we know that it's a half-lie. And the real point here is, are we living a, a consumer Christianity? And we know where lies come from. And some of the questions that we have to ask ourselves, what are we allowing? What did God really say? Is it really that bad? And maybe more importantly with this forum, and all those are important, by the way, how and where are we spending our time and our money? So when, we, when I think about my way, and look, I'm not here to tell you I'm perfect in this either. In fact, my first point is I'm not perfect. Everyone else does it. I don't have much time to help church, others, family. I have my career to worry about. I don't have the money, the resources to help out. Maybe there's an issue with a brother or sister. I just can't really see myself working with them. 
Or maybe it goes even farther than that. And we, we put these walls of liberal and conservative in our thinking, and it's just something we can't work together. So, this morning, I have some, the, some of those who are going to share, and I want you to understand that some of these individuals who will share are, are some I know very, very close and personal. Others were suggested to me, and they're in all different aspects of their lives, and they've been given different challenges in their lives. And so, I have uh, a student, I have a house, go ahead, young parents, uh, some middle-aged, and some old people like me, um, grandparents, and I guess the church leadership is also something. And we're all faced with these different aspects. We are in different positions in our lives, different challenges. So that's the reason for the individuals that have been chosen. I want to look at some verses. We'll go through them quick. You will have the ability to get these forms. You've heard these before, but I need to impress this on you. God's way, the crucified life. I am crucified with Christ. Go ahead. What is your cross? You did run well. Did you stop running? Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, to him it is sin. What should you be doing? And what are the consequences? One of the things you're going to see here, I believe, is that, you know, I didn't see any of the messages. I didn't, I didn't know what other brothers were going to talk about and, pre- and present. This verse is from last night. The, the Lord, it, it always amazes me how the Spirit works in camp. And the very verses that Brother Willie shared last night, when saw we thee a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And I think what really talks to my heart, as many things as we worry about and we focus on, this is a pretty direct statement by the Lord himself, and the consequences are pretty drastic. Then those who didn't do those things, depart from me, be cursed into everlasting fire. Wow, I hope that gets your attention. I think about these verses. So let's talk about what distracts us. I think we know. He that also received the the seed, this is a verse that came to my mind, among the thorns, is he that heareth the word and the care of the world and the deceitfulness of of riches. And don't get me wrong, I like some of these things, but life is getting crowded nowadays, is it not? And it's not so much what these things are, it's what they're replacing time and money. This was an interesting slide that I had, and what caught me is that it, this is a, 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 a pie chart basically talking about luxury buying in this country. 33% are already luxury buyers. 41% are aspiring, which means a strong desire, to be luxury buyers. So what does that put most of the people in this country? 75% of the people, we want a lot of stuff. And that's what the culture is pushing on us. And uh, go ahead and hit it. You know, today it's, uh, it's about me, right? And we know these verses. 2 Peter 3.3, 3, walking after their own lust. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, lovers of their own selves. 
Uh, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. You can read, read these verses. We've, we've heard these before, but what does it mean to us? Here's a, a bit of a commentary I, I just want, want you to listen to. As Talking Points has often pointed out, the rise of the net has taken people away from the real world and put them in a fantasy world. That's one of the reasons I created Waters World, where Jesse Waters asks folks about what they know about the real world. On liberal issues, it's kind of frightening. What is Obamacare? No idea. So you support Obamacare, you just don't really know how it works. Vermont's a very liberal state. Why do you think that is? Um, do you know what liberal means? No. What benefit does it have to the country to legalize weed? Uh, I mean... So, uh, what is Earth Day? <laughs> so, if the Earth is warming, you get more snow? Yes. So, if the Earth starts to cool, would we get less snow? Now, granted, Waters World is just a small slice of life, but I believe only about 50% of the American people take the time to understand important issues. Half the country does not. They're simpletons, unwilling and unable to discipline themselves into formulating a philosophy of life. The second factor driving the trend to the left in the USA is the media, but not the news media, not the news media. Most Americans don't even bother with the news anymore. It's the entertainment industry combined with social media that are putting forth a more libertine lifestyle. There's no question about that. In cyberspace, progressive websites vastly outnumber traditional websites. That's because traditional people don't use the net as much as their progressive counterparts. So the stars are lined up in favor of liberal thought, and that is a powerful influence. Now let's take a look at the social issues themselves. 2001, just 40% of the American public believed gay or lesbian relations were morally acceptable. Now that number stands at 63%. Huge change. That's because the entertainment industry has mainstreamed the gay lifestyle. Modern Family, for example, one of the most successful programs in the world. And even though it's a comedy, the message of tolerance sinks in, especially among younger Americans. Then you add a heavy dose of the stars themselves being liberal on gay issues, and you have the change agent. Also, on the gay marriage issue, those opposed to it have not been able to vividly articulate their vision. And some who support gay marriage have branded the opposition as bigots, a powerful but unfair indictment. Second issue, having a baby outside of marriage. 2002, 45% of Americans found it morally acceptable. Today, 61%. Again, that's driven by the entertainment industry and lack of peer pressure to keep child rearing within the marital arena. Although some Americans can raise children outside of marriage very well, this trend has badly damaged our society, often leading to poverty and lack of supervision for children. Millions of kids are getting hammered. On the subject of abortion, 2001, 42% found it morally acceptable. I'm not trying to promote Fox News or Bill Riley here, but it's, it, it, it strikes me that this secular commentator ha has been able to identify some things. I just looked on the news this morning, and maybe you've seen some of the slides uh, about this undercover Planned Parenthood video that has undercovered how individuals in Planned Parenthood have been selling parts of fetuses that they abort for profit and gain. 
knowing some of the recent tragedies even in our own midst, that one's hard to swallow at any level. When I said this morning, are we a country that's going to be judged? We are being judged. Slides, I happen to see emails, you've probably seen that. Companies are pushing Tylenol, just not to pick on them, just happens to be one. Go ahead. Go ahead. You know about this ruling. And at one point I thought maybe I'd show the picture of the White Houses in full colors. I just couldn't stomach that. Go ahead. But this caught my eye because I think it really, tip, it really centers on what I'm focusing on this morning. This is another secular magazine, Time magazine. Orthodox Christians must now learn to live as exiles in their own country. I, I, go ahead. And there's different ways we can react to the pagan culture. You know, we can stand against everything and fight against everything, object to everything. We can isolate ourselves from everything. Almost do that. Or we can assimilate to everything. Love. Or we can live in the culture but be ready to make a stand. We heard a little bit about this past week. Against our conflict of conscience, those things that God has implanted in our hearts. I don't have time to talk about this, but you might want to look at Daniel and to see what parts of the culture he did accept. We like to look at what he didn't accept. He did accept education, secular positions. Even his name changed, but he knew where to make a stand. So if I... Don't go. If I, if I were to say things like... Adam, you would say Eve, right? Noah, you would say the ark. No, no, no. <laughs> He's obedient. When I say Jonah, you say what? Whale. When I say David, you say Goliath. When, when I say <laughs> Daniel, why didn't you... T What's that? You got it now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My faithful assistant. A brother over many years. But let me ask you this. Why didn't you say, uh, when Daniel, you, uh, you know, the p positions he's attained, why didn't you, Je Jonah, why didn't you talk about the, the great revival he had in Nineveh? These are questions. Or David, uh, the great victories as king. Go ahead. Okay. No, no. I want you to listen to this. If you have to close your eyes, the people of Israel. I was in Brother Vic's forums yesterday. He was, was telling him he, he, he had verses of chapter 32. Before you listen to this, I want you to understand the scripture. This is Jeremiah 29. It was written to those who were going to go into exile to live in a pagan nation. Jeremiah never lived in Babylon, probably died in Egypt, but he had specific instructions by God on how to live. Listen to what he has to say. Now these words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives, and to the priests, and to the prophets, and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. After that, Jeconiah the king, and the queen, and the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, and the carpenters, and the smiths, were departed from Jerusalem. By the hand of Elassah the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah king of Judah sent unto Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, 
the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses, and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there, and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you, and perform my good word toward you, in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Okay, I'd like to start with a little bit of sharing right now. I'm going to call on Brother Brian to talk a little bit about, like, what he has faced on making a stand as a student in today's pagan culture. All right, so most of you know me. I'm Brian Bojanak from Mansfield. Um, I'm supposed to talk about um, how I'm dealing with life as a young man in a pagan culture, the role of the church in my life, how I determine my priorities, some of my peer pressures. But before I do that, I'm going to give a little background just so you guys know me a little bit better. So before I was converted, I was um, baptized at age 19. Uh, before that, I filled my life with all sorts of um, things, uh, idols, pleasures. Um, a big thing that everyone thought I was into was sports, and I'm, I never was. I, I really don't care about them. One of my patients at one time, uh, she was some little old lady, and she's like, oh, you play football, don't you? I was like, no, ma'am, never doesn't interest me. She's like, you're in better shape than half of these fans. Why not? I was like, I don't know. But I filled my life with a lot worse things than sports. I didn't idolize those. I idolized a lot of other things that I'm not going to get into. But um, I was converted at age 19. Uh, shortly before my 20th birthday, or after, I can't quite remember, I had my second major surgery. And that wasn't very fun. So I was in college for a couple of years. I messed around with a lot of stuff I shouldn't have. When I was 20, I transferred colleges. I had a different mindset. I was like, I'm going to be focused on my studies. I'm going to get things done. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to. I'm not going to focus on anything that I did before. And it went pretty good for a couple weeks. <laughs> I see my mom in the audience now. Uh-oh. <laughs> Wish I thought of a different story. Uh, Plug your ears. No, it's not that bad. Um, um, there was this, this one random girl in one of my math classes, and I didn't notice her. No big deal. 
just going through math class. And I had a couple hours until my next class, so I'm just sitting outside, looking through the book, maybe doing some homework or whatever, irrelevant. <clears throat> and she comes up and sits next to me, and she's like, hey, how's it going? I'm in your math class. I was like, oh, you are? She's like, yeah. I sit, like, right next to you. I was like, oh, cool. How's it going? And she's like, yeah, what are you doing? What's up? And I was like, all right, witness time. So I started talking about, I eased into it, I didn't just right away like, bam, Christianity. But I eased into how, like, what I was doing with my youth group and how I was involved with that and some of the stuff I was doing in church. And she's like, oh, you go to youth group, huh? Really? I was like, yeah. And here I was like, all right, now she's going to leave me alone because she doesn't like that sort of stuff. And she's like, yeah, well, our youth group's having whatever, whatever tonight. You want to come? And I was like, whoa, this is the first time in like three years of college that I've been invited to something other than a party. I was like, yeah, it's youth group. I guess I'll go. My ego right away was like, okay, sure. And we get there. We're doing whatever. It's some, some other church. And uh, I'm talking with some of the leaders afterward and... Their eyes are getting all wide, and we're just talking about what I thought was basic, basic knowledge, like Sunday school stuff, right? Well, they all talk to her afterward, and then she talks to me, and she says, hey, Brian. I'm like, what? And she's like, all these people, they think that you're ridiculously Bible knowledgeable. I'm like, no. They're like, well, they want you to like, be a leader in our youth group. I'm like, oh, ah, ah, ha, ha. So right away, it was kind of... Um, now, that was a big ego boost, because, just not, not to sound judgmental or whatever, I'm just going to describe to you some of what it was about so you have an idea of um, their main youth leader. He went to school for that, I guess. That was his job. He got paid to do it. He had a bunch of earrings and some tattoos. Um, one of the main buildings uh, right next to the sanctuary was a basketball court, and it had like a slide leading to the lower levels or whatever where the kids could play and hang out. You know, there's a big old worship center with, yeah. So, and oh, they on one wall, like pretend it was like that wall right there, blank except for one giant slogan that said, running toward people, not away. And at first I thought that was pretty cool. I was like, all right, yeah, that's really good, you know, got to run toward people and get them here. But the longer I thought about it, I was like, that's all they're doing is just, just trying to grab the people in with like all the fun stuff. There was, there was no meat. They're all sucking down milk still. There's nothing of substance in this church. And it like disgusted me. So for, for a while, my, my ego was kind of inflated. I was like, oh, they think I'm so good. All right, sure, why not? I'll hang out with them. And I did for a little while. And just the more and more I did it, the more I was convicted about just how... Not wrong, but yeah, wrong. How wrong it was that they were all going about their, quote, Christian walk as just like a fun way to try to get people into church and then not really doing anything with it. Because every um, like praise and worship thing I stayed for, every youth group thing that I listened in on was just, I thought, it was just garbage. There was nothing of substance there. It was all just happy hallelujahs, you know? There's no focus on on salvation or what it takes to really turn to Christ or anything like that. So, um, and it was kind of awkward because a couple of those youth leaders uh, went to college with me. So I eventually just stopped coming. I was like, hey, listen, I, I just, uh, I got a lot of other stuff going on, you know, probably won't be able to make it every, every Wednesday or whatever. And they're like, oh yeah, that's okay, we understand. I just didn't want to go anymore. Um, 
So, you know, they see me around, and they're like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, oh, it's, it's going all right. But that was one big kind of, not peer pressure, but one way that Satan kind of worked his way into my mind, like, because right after I was converted, I'm like, I'm going to go into college with, like, a really good attitude, you know, I'm not going to do anything wrong, and then uh, this happens, and I'm enticed with, oh, everybody thinks you're so great, come on and be a leader over here, and I was like, okay. Um, so after that, being part of the Mansfield Youth Group is, was, is and was uh, super important to me, because there are a lot of good kids there. Um, a lot of my friends are there. It's given me, I don't know, some kind of stability, I guess. It gives me something to look forward to, to go to now, because I know that I can make a difference there, and I know what the kids are being taught there, and I know that it's a lot of biblical truth, and it's good, and it's solid, and... You know, I went into the other youth group with kind of a mindset like, ooh, I, can, I could change this place. And I kind of saw myself getting relaxed in the word. And I was like, I think they're kind of changing me. You know, they're making me softer as a Christian. So I need, needed to get back into that. Uh, some of the peer pressures I had were still the same. A lot of people still wanted to, from my past and whatever, wanted to go out and uh, go clubbing. And I'd be like, no or they wanted to go get some drinks after, or some of them just came back from the army or whatever, and I'm just like, no. And they're why are you so boring all of a sudden? And I'd just be, I'd always give the excuse that I just had other stuff to do. And I always felt so bad that I wasn't bold enough to tell them, like, why I didn't want to get involved with this stuff anymore. But, is my time up? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that's basically it anyways. But I appreciate it. Yeah. You know, and... and and I appreciate so much because I, we have others who are going to share here. The very openness. Look, uh, we need to talk about this, okay? And, and so, thank you so much. And I hope I'm not in tr trouble with your mom or anything. But no, okay, I got the way. The, but listen, I mean, this is the kind of pressures where our, our children are under, okay? And Jeremiah said some interesting things. Build houses. Did you, did you catch that? Build houses and plant gardens. You know, we're talking about a kingdom that, you know, the, the king throws babies against the wall. This, he was not a good man, Nebuchadnezzar. Have strong families. Very interesting. Begat sons and daughters. And the, one of the reasons is because Judaism had strong fathers. Young couples here with children. God's calling you to raise them in ways that you probably never thought. And we have a couple here to share a little bit about how God's led them. You can either sit down or stand. You know, I thought often that I really don't belong up here, not just because I'm going to babble incoherently and ramble and I have no intention of picturing any of you unclothed to get over that. <laughs> but uh, um, more because this forum, I think, is directed at me. Um, and uh, not something that I should be presenting. I'm 46 years old. Um, I've been, I was baptized at 14, so I've been a Christian for close to 32 years. And for several years now, I've really been thinking a lot that what have I done uh, in my life? I look back and what have I done for Christ? And where are the fruits in my life? And I just don't see them or haven't been seeing them, even though my wife and I don't tell this to many people, but now I'm telling all of you, but my wife has been telling me and 
my sister-in-law that that you know it's it's right in front of me because I've been thinking of myself as you know I don't have any of the obvious gifts I, I can't preach teach and I'm not musical and uh, I really public prayer terrifies me my mind just blanks and uh, you know um, I'll have to take a look at my notes real quick um, I don't have any of those things and I've been thinking about the parable of the talents and I consider myself to be uh, the person who's given one talent and we know what that person did um, and what the result was but um, I'm just now starting to come to this point where God's put it right in front of me and he gave me a wife with a very strong conviction that she had before before I met her and that she you know, start to introduce to me after we had three biological children. And uh, my purpose here is to fulfill that, I think. And not saying that that wouldn't happen, you know, if, I, if it wasn't me doing it, but I would be the one that loses out. Um, and she's going to talk more about that. But uh, there was a song that was played the first night, or sung the first night, by um, Keith Green in one of the... Uh, paragraphs, um, one of the verses came out at me because I remember it from a long time ago. It says, I want to take your word and shine it all around, but first help me just to live it, Lord. And when I'm doing well, help me to never seek a crown, for my reward is giving glory to you. Um, like I said, I believe God's put me here to start to fulfill a vision that I don't, wasn't even my vision. And uh, it's a very basic thing to raise a family, but our culture is starting to change what that looks like, and I think we have to be the ones to show what it looks like. Um, I thought I'll let Nina talk a little bit more about how we are where we are right now. Okay, quickly I'll run through how we have our very uncon unconventional family. Um, when I was pregnant with our third child. I was pregnant out to here and driving the hour to church and I can picture the place that all of a sudden I was hit with this um, huge conviction and I started crying and I said, George, I believe that this is my last pregnancy but it's not our last child. And quickly I started babbling like, you, you so don't have to even consider this. If you don't want to adopt, I know that's huge. And he just said to me, Nina, if you believe it's from God, we pray about it. So that was, that was it. We prayed, and very quickly we were going to agencies and um, trying to gather information. And as we were going to these agencies, it was pretty amazing that, like, I really believe that God was so clear to us with all of our steps because it was such a huge thing to restructure our family like this. So, like, doors started closing and opening, and as they did, we just kind of found ourselves um, standing in front of what we believed God wanted for us. And there was the verse, um, Isaiah 43.5. Sorry, honey. We, we started like looking. We never thought that we would go to South Korea, and as these doors started closing and opening, we found ourselves um, reading this verse. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. 
So basically, during this time, we're waiting, waiting for our baby, reading this. I kept reading um, my verse that kind of got me through this really difficult three years of waiting for our son was um, 1 Samuel one twenty seven. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. So we end up with, with our son. We went to Korea. They give us, you know, we walk in a room, and they hand us a baby, and we walk away, and it was like... This is, not, I, this is not what I pictured of it, and this is not, um, I guess, as, as we start working through this, we have our three children that, you know, we were in a godly marriage, and we had these three babies that God gifted us, and then he gifted us this baby in a way that was not in his original plan, and I didn't think of that before, but we, I started... I watched him attached to him and, and me looking at this child thinking, this is not, he, he didn't come from me. He's fighting my children. He's fighting my husband. And my feelings were, um, basically, this is not God's original plan. This is not his plan that this child wouldn't have parents and that we, of all people, would have to step in. And then I started learning that... Um, God called us for something bigger, and he called us for something outside of ourselves. And, and all four of our kids at the time were his. They were not ours. And, and regardless of how they came to us, we had to work our hardest to raise them for him. So as, as time went by, I, I just really struggled because it was outside of my picture of, of how easy and normal it would be. And I kept telling George, like, there's so many babies, and I have this pull, but it's like I have to adopt again, but I don't want to. It's so hard. And one day he told me, you know, Nina, the easy thing is to adopt again. The hard thing is to focus on our family. And it was fun. I think he didn't expect the reaction I gave him, but it kind of lifted this, like, this pressure to adopt again, and all of a sudden my heart was like, this is what God wants for us, and I'm like, okay, fine, George, let's do it. <laughs> so we, um, we started looking more into to Africa, and, you know, like we did international, so we thought this is where we'll go again, and as I was talking to people, reading blogs. I started learning that there were so many babies here that needed homes. They just didn't look exactly like the two of us. So, you know, there were a lot of babies who um, were from different races that needed a home. So we started looking into infant adoption. And when we told our agency, it's a Christian agency, they said, we need you because there are so many babies. So we ended up... Um, getting Violet in our home, and she's just our little gift and our dessert in our family. She's pretty amazing. So um, I guess it, it just, our family ended up looking a lot different, but it's pretty amazing that God gifted us our five. I'll just wrap up. Um, what this does for us as a Christian family in our neighborhood and area, I mean, Nina alluded to it, and uh, it's something that even... Brother Willie said last night, in a church family, you know, what is unnatural, if you do it long enough, eventually becomes natural, and I don't know if that was in a negative or positive light, because I was ushering all these crazy teenagers upstairs, um, <laughs> apparently not effectively, uh, 
But, uh, you know, a lot of people who adopt do so because, you know, they have no other choice, and that's good. Um, for us, people can see that we're choosing to do this because we believe that children belong in families and not the kind of families that we are being told uh, is acceptable today. And, uh, you know, so that's something that easily comes out when you're walking around with five kids and they don't all look the same and people ask questions and you have to protect them, but at the same time people see what, what you're doing and why you're doing it. And, uh, you know, the biggest worry for me is I'm 46, like I said, and Violet is one, and I had visions of a lot of bad, bad golf in my 60s, and it seems to be slipping away, and there's no indication either that, uh, that God's told us to stop, so we ask for your prayers for that as well. It's hard to not think that, as, you, as I listen to these moments of sharing, this is Christian living. This is Christian living. Don't listen to the false prophets. Next one. I think you skipped one on, on neighbors. Be good neighbors. Oh, no, it's coming up. Okay, be good neighbors. Who's your neighbor? Brother Scott is going to share a little bit about some of the neighbors he's been around in his ministry. Brother Gibb asked me to uh, share something pursuant to... Um sharing something with the elder brothers at the last meeting. Um, you know, most of you know that we've uh, a few years ago started a horse ministry. Um, but I did um, want to share with you a few ideas first. I don't, I don't view myself as um, fighting a cultural war. That's kind of the context of Brother Gibbs' uh, uh, forum here that he's organized. <clears throat> uh, we probably am, but that's not the way that we came into this. Uh, the Lord has led us in a different way. And the main thing that I want to leave all of you is to just follow the Spirit in your life. Listen to Him. Just listen. And the journey that we're on, you know, did not start three years ago. The journey that we're on started a long time before that. It steps in our life, the Lord leading us from one place to another. You know, at, um, you know, I guess it in my early 30s, um, I felt that the Lord was leading us to, um, to quit my job and to go back to school to get an advanced degree. Um, it was a blessed time for us to be able to do that. My boys were young. It gave me the opportunity while I was studying again to spend much more time with the family than I otherwise could have. Um, even when I was doing my research, um, you know, I was blessed with a good advisor that said he didn't care whether it took me three years longer to complete my work. Um, you know, it's, it's up to me. If I wanted to take time off in the summer to do things with the family, that was, that was you know, my choice. And it was a blessed time, and it was challenging work, but it was also a time in our life that we actually took a socioeconomic dive when I went back to school. That became a building block later for some other things. In that period of time, we... Um, you know, decided that it, it wouldn't be the right time for us to have more children, but by the time I was just about done with my studies and research, we started to think about this more, and we had the same thoughts that you did, that there's so many kids in this world, and um, they, and the Lord led one thing to another, and we, you know, fostered first our two girls, and I, I was felt that in, uh, in our Nazarene faith, stable families is a gift we've just got to learn to give away, we've just got to give away. And uh, the Lord you know, led us then to foster and to adopt. 
I was done with my studies and, uh, you know, got back into the working world and one thing had led to another and I was asked to uh, participate in the management of a company. I wasn't looking for it. That's just the way it turned out. And um, at the same time that something happened at church that we uh, started working with a family that came, you know, you know the story, five kids, five fathers. Um, they were coming for a while and it was, uh, they were pretty disruptive in our fellowship uh, because, you know, what well, we came to worship, and they came actually to, uh, to command our attention. They came to be loved. They came because they, they craved uh, the kind of emotional abandonment that they had in their own family they didn't get when they came to us. And, um, you know, I, I'll never forget my high points of the week often were when I would get to church and I'd bend down across the room and I'd see this little girl, two-year-old girl, Raisha, and she would come running over to me from across the room, and she'd hold on to my neck, and I felt like she was holding on for dear life. And uh, that, you know, that, that feeling never went away from me. And, and um, uh, I, I had realized when these kids came to church that, you know what, as much as we'd like to give them the gift of Sunday school, that's not what these kids needed. These kids needed something from before Sunday school. They needed adult attention. They needed, they needed mentoring. They needed somebody to give them patterns in life. I realized that these kids were undisciplined. They had no responsibilities. They didn't know what it mean to work for something. Their life was so chaotic. And then I started thinking, Lord, you know, is there is something else that we should be doing with our family to extend this pattern of fostering, adopting, into whatever the next step was? And, and um the Lord started working in my heart in other ways. And, um, you know, I started, uh, you know, like Brother George, I started to look at, you know, I was approaching 50. And it's not that I had really felt that there was no fruit in my life. I came at this from a different way. I'm like, you know, how much more time is God going to give me? I don't know. How, how do I want to spend that time for the kingdom with what he has given me? You know, have I embraced the doctrine of the cultures of pursuing beyond all else security and stability as being the dominant mantra of what we do first? And that, by the way, I think is ultimately the doctrine of many Christian organizations that they try to promote security and stability as being the norm for Christian life. And other things come later. And the Spirit just started to work in my heart and said, Scott, you know what? You cannot go to church and sing the way you're singing, you know, you can't sing to Jesus, you know, I surrender all. I should have been sitting there singing, one-tenth to him I surrender. One-tenth to him I freely give. You know, a resounding chorus together, I give one-tenth. And, uh, you know, the Lord just led me to a point of saying, Scott, you, you have to listen to my leading and find a way to kind of back out of the norm of this culture to do something else. And he brought the idea of, the, um, of Timber Ridge because I realized that in working with horses, this would provide the opportunity to give adult attention to individual kids, which they craved. I realized that they could learn things about responsibility working with horses. Things didn't come for free in life. You had to work for it. You know, you want to keep up the fun. You've got to put in the effort. You know, that there are good values of industry that would come along with this. And, of course, there was something that is very, very God-given, magical about 
horses, and kids. And he just opened the door for that to be able to happen. Now, you know, just briefly, we are kind of fighting a cultural war because of the people that God has chosen to send up our driveway. And I keep on telling people this, I'm amazed at just how God keeps sending people. He just keeps sending people up our driveway. And, um, you know, the first couple that came up the driveway was a lesbian couple. The second couple that came up the driveway, I was pretty sure was involved in the occult. Um, you know, I mean, there are all kinds of things that are going on, and one of the things that I'm challenged with is, you know, Scott, if you and your family are, you know, I know that you, you feel like they need to be protected, you need a spiritual cover, there are all these kinds of things, but are you really willing to be my open arms and hands for whoever I'm going to send up the driveway? And, uh, you know, can you learn to love the people even, you know, in, a, in all honesty, we, you know, working with people the way that we're doing, the families are dysfunctional, there's medical problems all over the place. They're not really easy people to interact with. There's a lot of annoying things that wind up happening, and you're challenged every day. You know what, can, can you love? Can you find a way to be able to get beyond that and still bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life when you're dealing with other people that are maybe unlovable, but maybe they really are hanging on to your neck for dear life? And... Um, you know, the Lord has just blessed this so far, and I think he's going to continue to bless it in the future. And I'm praying for a way now that I, I just, you know, really want to be able to use the years that God gives me left, however many they are, for something that I really feel is worthwhile. And one of the things that I came to realize is that, you know, the company that I was managing, it started to go in different directions new challenges and different visions about where to take it. And I realized that I, I couldn't, I couldn't participate in that. This didn't mean enough to me that I was willing to put in the effort to take this company to a different place in a more and more complex technical world that we're living in. And, um, you know, there were some hard choices there, some scary choices, but I just felt that I had to make a, a different change in this. And these things come at a price, you know, that it's not easy. It comes at a cost. When somebody thought you were a player, and now you look at them in the eye and you say, I'm, I'm not going to be a player anymore. You know, and uh, I, I, I would like to be able to, and I was encouraged by the brothers this week, to still find a way, will the Lord open doors for me to be able to make a living for my family in some way, but where more of my passion and interest can be focused on something that, that I really want to do. And I just want to leave you with one thought. We all have different callings in life, and I've always felt that God gives us more than one calling. You know, I have a calling in the church as an elder brother. That's part of what I do, but I don't get my identity in life from being an elder brother. That's not my only calling in life. I was called first to be a father, and then I was called to be a foster dad and an adoptive dad. And now I'm called to something else that I'm just equally passionate about as working in the precious fellowship that we actually have here. But I want to really encourage people that the real service and calling that God brings us to is probably not going to be within the fellowship. There are things there. But the real calling that he brings each one of us to is the calling in our regular lives that he really means for us to be the blessing to this world. 
So, you know, please pray for us. I mean, we're, 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 we're in the middle of this journey, but the Lord has been faithful, and I've been really encouraged this week by hearing many things that has strengthened my resolve to just go back and, and be a, a witness for the Lord in an ever-changing pagan world. Thank you, Brother Scott. <clears throat> I just wish I had time to give every one of these individuals a separate form, and maybe that's in the future. Pray for the city. How many of us have ever, as a church, prayed for the city? Looking beyond the present circumstances, people of Israel were captive for 70 years, and 70 years it was no longer. When we take a look at sin, missing the mark, we talk about things that we are not doing, and we can run through these slides. You can get them later. You've heard them before. What I want to uh, allow now is Sister Deb to share a little bit about what you saw last night, I, I don't want to put her on the spot, but these, this couple has been very close to me. <laughs> and uh, I just think that if there's a sister that's been gifted to work with people in their situations, you need to listen to what she has to say. Thank you. Debbie Gerhardt, I'm from North Phoenix, and it's less than 100 here, so I have a cold. I'm going to try and get through this without coughing or whatever. I would like to put my disclaimer in. I have not accomplished, but I'm aspiring to what I'm going to share with you. I told Gib, I don't want to talk about experiences. They're my experiences. God uses you the way he uses you. But there are some principles I've learned over the years, and that's what I want to share with you. Um, first one that I want to think about, I want you to think about with me, is 2 Corinthians 6.1. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. Who are we to take that grace of God and keep it to ourselves? I mean, how arrogant could we possibly be? The other one I was thinking of was, I've watered, I've planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. The half-truth I want to talk about today is I can't witness. Well, there's two parts to that. Part of it is, you're right, we can't do it unless I learned a, a philosophy era. I'd like to articulate the thing I learned from Blackaby's experiencing God. He said, unless we are in the being, such as being in the word, being in prayer, a being obedient to what we know he's given us to do. Be ready. Sometime, if you have time, just do the bees in the Bible. It's amazing. It keeps us really busy. We do not need to worry about doing if we're working on the being because God brings us the opportunities to do. We're not... The other thing about saying I'm not able to do it I loved Edmonds this morning. We've all been there. Uh, 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 yeah, let me see how I'm going to answer this. What am I going to do? We're a tool of God. God does not ask us to convict, to take everybody through a whole process, and do all of that by ourselves. What we'd like to do is have the people come and be baptized because that's like the ultimate. But is it really? Isn't the ultimate just sharing God's love? Just planting sometimes. Going back to Jen last night, her grandmother was in this state. Jen saw her once a week in the summers as a little girl. 
her grandmother planted seeds. When Jen had a little girl, she knew she needed to go back to church because of grandma's seeds. You know, think of all the jobs we do. Think of the kitchen. How many tools do you have in the kitchen? Think at work. Look at your garage. How many tools? We don't use only one tool. God is the same way with us. He uses us wherever he wants. We are witnesses, all of us. We all can witness. We just have to be a willing tool. That comes by being. There have been times at work, I've had my devotions before, and I'm like, I don't know what that has to do with what's going on at work right now or what's in my life, but something comes up during the day, and it's like God has already prepared us. Sometimes it's a coworker who's already a Christian, and you say, you're not going to believe what I had in my devotions today, and it's encouragement to both of you. There are other times at work where somebody said, how did you figure that out, Deb? And all I could say was answered prayer. I let it go at that. A couple weeks later, somebody might come and say, hey, can you put that on your prayer list too? And that's as far as the conversation went. We were just working the ground. We were just happening. And I always prayed, use me, but use other people too. It's not a one-man job. It says workers together with him. It's God who does the increase. So it takes that responsibility away from us thinking we have to have all the answers. We have to know how to say it, what to do. We don't. We have to just be grounded in him. In this book, it also talks about, we've had that thinking at times. I have to say, God, what's your will for me? I think we have it a little backwards. God is at work around us in everything and every way. And if we ask him to open our eyes to see where he's working, and then we say, may I please join you? Sometimes he says, yeah, I need you to go encourage the person that's already there working. I need you to help hold up their arms. The other time he might say, yeah, you know this person. You've been in that circumstance. You need to go stand with them and go through it. Other times he says, No, I need you to see that need, and I need you to be the intercessor. You won't know if those prayers are answered. You won't know anything that's going with it. To me, that's one of the hardest jobs. It's one of the most background jobs. You don't know if you were successful or not, but I often think how exciting it's going to be when we see Jesus. Somebody you see, it was like, Oh, I know you. I remembered we worked together. You were my neighbor. I saw you at the grocery store. And they smile and they say, thank you. What did I do? I didn't do anything. I heard about a lady who went to the grocery store. And the clerk there just looked really down. And they chit-chatted a little bit. And as she's leaving, she says, and may God bless you today. And the tears started. And the clerk said, Nobody in my entire life has ever asked for God to bless me. We live in America. What kind of things are those? We don't know how God is going to use us. But if we first are in that being, he will provide the opportunities and the doing. I just want to encourage everybody. Put the smile on. We can all do that. 
We can all pray. We can all have a word fitly spoken. We really don't have to go far. And given I talked about it, and I've been so impressed this week at camp, how many things that I had put on my notes when Gib first talked to me have been talked about in the sermon, the things God provides. We just have to be a tool he can use. Thank you so much. We're really out of time. Um, Brother Dave is foregone his, his uh, part of, of us, and he's uh, graciously done that. But to conclude, think about the things we do for him and the things we do by him. There is a difference. I want you to think about that. Just to finish up, the, Christ, the Christian joy in our lives, Jesus first, others second, yourselves last. And I had to show this picture, right? This is my mission. You, sometimes you don't need to look any farther than your grandchildren or maybe somebody else's. The message to me at camp, we heard two letters, go. Go fulfill God's mission for you. Thank you so much.